I'm glad all you called. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to continue our study in the book of Exodus and, and look at the Passover. And, and uh, what a great picture to get that started with as we see uh, uh, Elias take care of baptism and following the Lord uh, because he has trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. This has been our, our series that we've been going through. It's called Getting Out of Egypt. It won't be long. And we, won't, and we won't be here anymore. No matter how you cut it, whether the Lord comes at the rapture or uh, our days are like a vapor, right? They, they, they pass by really fast. I saw a post on the social media by the, the Alvarez's, uh, and they said, I can't believe we're this old already. You know, it just goes like that, doesn't it? Uh, your kids grow, and, and you go, and praise the Lord. It's so good to see you all. Some of you all I haven't seen in a while. Warren, Warren Peak, I tell you, I mean, this is bizarre. I got to learn this someday. I was literally praying for you this morning, and uh, I walked in. And I'm like, "There's Orn." I'm like, "I got to do this more often." So, uh, uh, anyway, it's good to have you guys back in the house here with us again. So, if you have your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, turn to page 99 in the Bible that's in the seat rack in front of you, or if you're a guest and, and got one of those guest bags, that Bible on page 99. Should find our text where we're going to be this morning. When I was about seven years old, we took a trip down to uh, to uh, Cape Canaveral in Florida. My family loaded up the, the truck and we RV'd it down there. And, and uh, I can remember, still, I'll never forget, going in uh, to the control room of, uh, of NASA there. And, you know, back in the day, this is for you younger people, you know, uh, it's no big deal. You can put on a pair of earbuds and get any sound effect you want but but man when i was a little kid seven years old going in that that room with all that technology at the time which was you know cutting edge you know analog technology uh, uh it was uh <laughs> it was amazing because they went through the whole sequence right and then they they got to the countdown and of course it wasn't a real live launch it was just a replica and and it's it's you know then it's ten nine eight and they get down to five four three two one and then you know, and they turn the speakers up extra loud, you know, so the whole building's shaking. And, you know, this is before movie theaters that had all that surround sound and stuff. So, I mean, like, I'm a little kid and I'm getting old. I'm just dating myself here. And I can just remember just like that impression. It was like, wow, that is amazing. This is something really significant happened. You know, it was the sound effects, the tension, the countdown. Well, when you get to this place in the book of Exodus, that's really what we have. We have a countdown. All of these plagues, all of this action, all of this activity that's been going on with the children of Israel up to this point, when we get to Exodus chapter 12, it is like a blast off. And God is launching. As a matter of fact, we saw a couple weeks ago, God said, uh, you will be thrust out, right, in chapter 11. You're going to get cast out in essence. You're going you're gonna to get bolted out of here. I mean, they spent, they spent all this time in the... In Egypt, just thinking, we're never going to leave here. We're in bondage. They're killing our children. This is terrible. There's there's not enough uh, straw to make bricks, and all the tension and all the drama. And now it's like, boom, you're out of here. It was building to this climax, and so it's an exciting place in our Bible this morning uh, to read as we get into the Word of God. And so, if you have your Bibles, let's look in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to just look at the first 10 verses this morning, and we're going to look at preparing for the passover prepare to launch is really what's going on this this nation is getting ready to launch out into the wilderness and the lord says in exodus chapter 12 and verse 1 and the lord spake unto moses and to aaron in the land of egypt saying this month shall be unto you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year unto you speaking unto all the congregation of israel saying in the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers a lamb for a house and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make you count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of the sheep uh, or from the goat. And ye shall, <clears throat> I should say goats, plural. Verse 6. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take it of the blood and strike it on the two side posts of the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and all the pertinence thereof. 
and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this uh, very uh, important passage in the Word of God. Uh, all the passages are important. Thank you for preserving your Word for us and giving us these incredible pictures. Lord, as we also are preparing to launch, Lord, literally, we're, our promise is even greater. We're going to be caught up like rocket ships right on out of this place someday soon. And, Lord, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to live. It's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to know the gospel, and it's a great time to hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. Thank you so much for delivering your precious book to us this morning. We pray a blessing uh, on the reading and the hearing, and, Lord, most importantly, the application. Lord, may the word of God dwell in us richly in all wisdom. May we apply the word of God in a way that, Lord, is supernatural in our lives. May the spirit of God be uh, encouraged as we learn this morning and, and, and move us out of here in the fullness and the power of the spirit of God to share the good news of Christ while we can. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for this season of time that we're in. We pray a blessing now upon your message. Lord, I ask that uh, you bless the, both the, the readers and the hearers and, um, and all those that are walking this thing out. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we're looking at this passage this morning, we're talking about preparing for Passover, like a big launch. And uh, the first thing that we're going to see is the priority of the Passover feast, the priority of the Passover feast. And it's pretty clear to see in verse 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, uh, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, the whole tenor of this, of this book changes. It's no longer about Moses. It's no longer about bondage. It's no longer about all of those things. Now it's about this is what we're doing. Moses, Aaron, and then as we work through the chapter, children of Israel as a whole, this is where we're going, right? Uh, yeah, Pharaoh's going to be brought up. Yeah, the plague's going to come. Yeah, his son's going to die. All the firstborn will die. But this is really now about God establishing a nation. It ends the chapter again with that phrase, armies. He's been mentioning Israel as an army, not servants, but an army, a nation, a nation of people that has an army because they're going somewhere for God. It's a picture, of course, of what God is doing with us as he's preparing us here. Right. Today, we're ambassadors. Today, we're his children. Today, we're a family. That's what the church is all about. But once we get caught up out of here, when we come back, we come back as an army. Right. We're a military force at the second coming because God is establishing his kingdom because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's our Lord and he's our savior. And we are the bride of Christ. So we're precious in his eyes. He cares for us. He says here, this is a priority. It's such a priority that this is now going to, I'm going to change this, the times in or your calendar. I don't know what pagan calendar you've been going by down here in Egypt, but from now on, this is the first, this is the first month and the first day. It's going to start right here, right now. And so he's prioritizing their calendar here. So point A, Israel, uh, the first point is the priority of the Passover feast. He's establishing that. And we see point A, Israel and the, and the world get a new beginning through the institution of the Passover. This is an interesting uh, place in the whole of the Bible because it's taken a long time to really develop, even though it's been a theme all the way from Genesis through Abraham offering Isaac. But now we're coming to this Passover, and Israel and the world get a new beginning through the institution of the Passover. So in Genesis 12, you might remember that guy, Abraham, back there. He got a promise. And he, in that promise, it was about not just him, but a promised seed. And we know he struggled to have a promised seed. But at the end of the day, God brought his word through Abraham. Uh, and he had a promised seed. And, and it was that chapter, Genesis chapter 12. Now we're in Exodus chapter 12. And God has another incredible transition uh, for this seed of Abraham to go from a a family unit, a tribal group, a, a group of servants to now having their own nationhood and their own status among all the nations of the world, just as God said would happen, just as he prophesied. And so this is a new time, not only for Israel and their departure from Egypt, this is actually a new time for the world, because from this point forward, all the nations of the earth, whether they know it or not, will have to set their calendar around what God is doing with the nation of Israel. Even to this day, many of the, the principalities and powers to this day listening right now, which none of them are listening, but if they were listening to me, it would be news to them that everything that they're about, with all their 
hedge funds and all their all all their financial schemes. All of that stuff is actually all just rotating around God's ultimate plan for this nation of Israel. And you cannot plan your 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 nationhood. You cannot plan your your future without considering what God is doing with the nation of Israel. That's not a political statement. That is a biblical statement because God has a plan for Israel. And so this is a unique place. As we look at that in the context of history as a whole, this is the place. God is saying, okay, we're establishing this feast cycle. And we're going to say this is the, I'm saying, God is saying, this is the first month of the year to you. You thought it was January? No. It's the month of Abib. And on the 14th day, this is what's going down, right? And so the 10th day, this, you're going to go get a lamb. The 14th day, you're going to offer it. And, and this is how it is in perpetuity. Because this is that big of a deal. This is a priority now in your calendar as individuals, as a family, as a nation. And, of course, God is establishing his nation, Israel, as they, were, uh, <clears throat> as they had been bound as slaves in Egypt, but will emerge this nation with a mighty army, but not just an army. Of course, we know what's coming in the book of Exodus. He's going to entrust to them the oracles of God, and he's going to give them the systematic way to worship, picturing What's going on in the third heaven in the Holy of Holies? And so all of this is entrusted to them and uh, he is preparing them for their role in this world as a nation. And all of this is the eventuality. It is the evidence. It's the manifestation of the promises made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. Now, it wasn't that clear in Genesis 12, but it's getting clearer as we go. For so, so those of you in HBI class, that's progressive uh, revelation, right? We talked about that on Monday or Tuesday, right? It's progressive revelation. God is, is progressively revealing his plan as he steps through these dispensations. So uh, the hands of time had moved slowly, and the Lord notes in Exodus 1240 that Israel had sojourned for 430 years, and the time had finally come to give Israel a new beginning through the Passover feast. And so uh, so to Egypt, this will be the, fir- the uh, final plague um, but to Israel, her deliverance will be focused on God's mighty power to secure their salvation through the sacrifice of the lamb. And so there's this tension, right? And, of course, Egypt is, is facing that, uh, their demise, while Israel is facing their salvation. Isn't that very indicative of really where we are today, right? Uh, we, are, we have nothing but blue sky, you know. Didn't Willie Nelson have a song about that? And so, you know... I mean, we're looking to the Lord. We're looking to the sky. Why? Because we know this world is not our home. No matter how we're just sojourning here, just like the children of Israel, we're sojourning. And uh, and so they had sojourned for 430 years. But now God is giving them this promise. So God established time in Genesis one. As we're talking about the priority of time, you might remember in Genesis one, 14 through 19, when he established that the evening and the morning uh, would be the first day and he and he, and he and then he put these lights in the sky on the fourth day, and he said that you know what, uh, this is going to divide the light from the darkness, and the, and these and these uh, and these lights in the in the firmament, these are going to uh, be the beginning of years, and it's going to reckon for you uh, night and day and all of that time. I'm, I'm uh, I didn't remember that I had this in my notes, so I'm going to read the passage because I'm trying to remember all that verse off my head. So forgive me. I didn't have to tell you what I was thinking. But anyway, Genesis 1.14. And God said, this is what I should have just read, the verse. Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. All right. So uh, God says it a lot more succinctly. So in, in Genesis 1.14, what he's saying is, hey, listen, I, I put the sun and the moon and the stars. What are, the, what are they there for? So you can discern what time it is right so you can gauge it uh otherwise you wouldn't know what time it is you'd just be like just moving through space and then you die you know you wouldn't know so god has given us a method and he did that at creation uh for how so that we could measure these seasons the days the years and all that all the way in the beginning so the word month doesn't show up in the bible until until nearly two thousand years click off of god's calendar uh, as God is focusing on the 600th year of Noah's life, when he's on the second month and the 17th day of the month, the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven opened and the world was destroyed by a flood. So even if no one else was keeping time, we know who was keeping time. It was God. And uh, he was keeping time until 
He was judging the earth there in Genesis chapter 6. So now the Hebrew nation will reckon her calendar off the events that are about to transpire. And this will be the first month of the year to you. Now we see today, right, uh, in 2023, that's not how the Gentile world measures its calendar, does it? It starts in January uh, off of the solar calendar. God established Israel to work off a lunar calendar, and he's got a reason for that. I'm not going to get into this morning. But all of these things are not by chance. Everything is ordered by God, but we often just don't understand or see it. So point B, the Passover is on the, on the first month orders Israel's priorities. See, God is setting some priorities for Israel by making sure this starts their calendar. Uh, this is an important uh, time for their feast cycle, and this is to be the beginning of that feast cycle. A new beginning will commence in the days as God frees them from Egypt. So you can see as well that God is establishing something. It's a new beginning. And as we do, as we look at numbers in the Bible, numbers have significance. And uh, and uh, I got in an argument on Twitter one time about about this with one of these uh, big wigs that everybody knows in the Christian world. And uh, I'm like, come on, dude, just read Revelation. You know, seven, seven. I mean, you just can't get away from it. Numbers have significance in the Bible. Number eight has significance in the Bible. Represents a new beginning. And so they will have a new beginning as the Passover is now on the first day or the first uh, the first month of their calendar. The Passover prioritizes Israel's memory. A new year begins with a remembrance of God's deliverance as the Passover is instituted. What are they going to remember about this? Well, you know what? As we celebrate this Passover, the whole purpose was to remember their deliverance, to remember their deliverance. Uh, that's, a, that's a very important aspect to why God chose to order it this way. To this day, the Jews' feast cycle begins with Passover, and it's been a memorial to the Jews of their deliverance for what I calculated to be about 3,514 years now. have clicked off, and for those 3,000-plus years, they are remembering their deliverance. And I was I was running cross references. I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to give you all of them. You're going to be like, thank you, brother. So in Deuteronomy chapter 16, though, um, there's a cross reference to this. And in, in verse 12, I was going through and in my in my Bible margin, my devotional thoughts, uh, it also talks about this same uh, the same purpose for the Passover, which is to remember the, their deliverance. And in my margin, I wrote March 25th, 1987. I just wonder, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, I hope everybody in this room has a, you don't have to, like me, I know the day, not quite the hour, probably about three something in the afternoon, but, 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 you know, not everybody knows the exact second they got saved. I get that. If you were like five or seven or 10 or, or circumstances in life, you know, you really weren't thinking about it at the time. Uh, but at the end of the day, I hope that you do know on your calendar, there should be a beginning. I don't mean a beginning like you were born. Uh, I mean the beginning of when you were born again, right? You, there needs to be a time on your calendar where you can say, you know what, this is when life began for me. I, it took me, and sometimes you don't even understand the significance of that. So uh, in real terms, so I was born again on March 25th, 1987. And somewhere, now at this date I don't have down exactly, somewhere between 1994 and 1998, I was sitting in a classroom in our Bible Institute, very much just like the Bible Institute we have. And pastor, some of you know Pastor Alan Shelby. He pastors Harvest Baptist Church up in Blue Springs. He's, you know, he's, he's machine gun Shelby. He's rattling through voluminous amounts. You think I throw out some info. You haven't heard anything yet. And so, so he's, he's just machine gunning us down with, with glory. And he's just giving us these verses. And then he says something that just rocked my world. And he just says, hey, um, if you're saved, eternity's already began. And, man, I tell you what, that just, like, I have not gotten over that. It just flipped my lid. I'm like, whoa. You know, not only am I a new creature in Christ, but death, all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians 15, right? Death has no sting. I'm telling you, brother and sister, that will put a pep in your step. Next time you're preaching at a mission and you think, you know, this guy could kill me. You're just like, come on, let's take it on. I'm not dying. I'm going to come back like Freddy Krueger. You know, I mean, it's just like amazing when you really get your heart and your mind around the fact 
that you, if you're born again, if you got that date, you know that time, that moment in time when you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you were born again, you got a new beginning. Wow. Eternities began. Oh, yeah, there'll be some transitioning. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll drop this old carcass. You'll get a new body. Yeah, there'll be some things changed. You know, today I'm kind of limited. I can't like, I'm not like Aquaman. I can't just jet under the, under the water like those UFOs. And I can't just shoot off into outer space. But I will soon. Right? Soon. In God's timing, it's coming. Are you prepared to launch? I mean, we need to be ready for eternity. That's why God saved us. We get so bogged down in time, we forget, you know what? We're eternal. Now, you're like, Brian, you're getting a little crazy with that. No, I'm actually being very biblical. And if you're going to face the challenges that are probably ahead in, in this world, we got to get eternal. you got to get your mind set on things above because the things of this earth, man, they will leave you depressed. You wake up this morning, it's raining. You'll be like, I'm staying in bed. I'm going to crawl up and sleep on, you know. And I don't blame you, by the way. But uh, at the end of the day, God needs us to get up and get going. Put some pep in our step. How does he do that? Through the power of the resurrection that's in us. When we get saved, man, Christ comes in us. We are new creatures. It gives us a new priority in life. It gives us all kinds of things are new. So the, the word month doesn't show up again in our Bible until nearly 2,000 years click off of God, God focusing on that 600 year of Noah's life. Uh, when the second month of the 17th day of the month, the fountains of the deep were broken up. And uh, it was an incredible thing. I am, I've already read that. So, um, but the earth was destroyed as, as, those, as the deep was broken up and the windows of heaven opened and the world was destroyed by a flood. So now the Hebrew nation will reckon her calendar off the events uh, that are about to transpire. And this will be the first month of the year to you. So, so uh, the, uh, the margin or the Passover orders, point D, Israel's worship. I'm sorry, I missed point C. Passover prioritizes Israel's memory. Guys, I'm a mess today. So a new year begins with a remembrance of God's deliverance as the Passover is instituted. So to this day, the Jewish feast cycle begins with Passover, and it has been memorialized for 3,514 years. So the Passover orders Israel's worship. The tenth day of Abib, or now today they call it Nisan, um, the Jews were to get uh, a spotless lamb. And so they were to get a spotless lamb. And, of course, that pictures what? Jesus, right? He is the lamb of God. He is a spotless lamb. And on the 14th day of Nisan, the month of Abib, March or April, uh, they were to sacrifice it. The reason we don't know exactly because the, the calendar rolls on. A Gregorian calendar has 365 days, whereas the Hebrew calendar works on a 360-day lunar cycle. So the calendars are a little bit askew. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, and the subsequent feasts follow after uh, the Passover feast. So there are seven feasts that are established by God through the law of Moses, and I've listed them on your notes. I'm not going to take a lot of time on that, but I've listed those out because I just you can look on the left side, and it starts with Passover, and then you've got what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, uh, dealing with the harvest at Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. The Feast of Trumpets, uh, which is very instrumental in the end in times prophecies coming up. The Day of Atonement, uh, and then the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, as the Bible uh, calls it interchangeably. So there's that time where Israel memorializes their time in the wilderness. That's that seventh feast. Today there are actually more uh, feasts in, the, in a Hebrew calendar than that, but these are the ones that God established in the Word of God. And so uh, the, all of these have a, um, th- these are established, and this, this priority is being established for Israel to start these, this feast cycle, and it is going to go perpetually, not only now, but even through into the millennial cycle. And so these will have significance in days yet to come. They have a, uh, a very important historical significance, but they also, each one of them, have a prophetic significance. There's something about these feasts that are pointing forward. And for us, we're going to take our time and look at this Passover feast because it clearly, clearly points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. But before I do, I want us to understand that the Passover orders God's prophecy, right? The feast cycle establishes a time for which Jesus, the Messiah, comes. The feast cycle establishes a time for the restoration of Israel during the fulfillment 
of Daniel's 70th week. And the feast cycle establishes the government by which Jesus will rule the nations in the millennial reign, uh, though he is our Passover. And so this feast cycle is going to play large into the fulfillment of the prophecies in Daniel's 70th week and also the Old Testament prophecies concerning the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in the coming millennium. So these things that he's establishing here go on and on and on. Now, some people, I want to just throw this in. This is extra. You don't have to pay for this. But a lot of people get confused in the church, and they tie the rapture of the church into these feast cycles. I will warn you. I will tell you there is nothing tying us into that. So if someone says, oh, we're going to go up with the Feast of Trumpets because the trumpet's blown, uh, that's a shofar trumpet, by the way. That's dealing with the feast. That's dealing with Israel. Uh, I'd submit to you uh, our, our catching away is imminent. Uh, we are more dealing, I believe, with the silver trumpets that are moving the troop movements, which any time God could blow that trumpet. And we are not bound to that feast cycle because we're not bound to the law. We're in the, the age of grace, the dispensation of grace. And God promises us that, you know what, you need to be ready because he could come at any time and take you away. He is not, he is not bound to that cycle for, for how he's dealing with the church. But he, will, he is bound in how he will deal with the children of Israel in regard to how he uh, handles the, the upcoming uh, Daniel's 70th week. So for some of you right now, everything I just said was like, what did you say? Just don't worry about it. But don't wor- don't, really, don't worry about that. Just know this. You need to have a day on your calendar that where you know that you're a new creature in Christ. You need to have a day where you know that Jesus Christ uh, saved your soul. And I tell you what, God will set everything new, and it will impact eternity and you are part of god's plan for eternity whether you understand all the details or not that's okay you got time to learn that that's what we're doing here at a church we're here to prepare people in the word of god so they can get ready for what's coming they can prepare to launch okay so point two in our notes we saw the priority of the passover feast now let's look at the priority of the passover lamb because the passover lamb looms large in this passage i i counted I think 11 times uh, I saw the word it, 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 it. And it's amazing how this is a picture of Christ, but yet uh, the lamb is also like an object. Because Jesus Christ was objectified. You ladies know what that's like. And so he becomes the object of God's wrath for our sin. And this lamb looms large throughout the word of God because it's so important to our salvation, and also reveals so much about the love of God. And so in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible says, Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, uh, <clears throat> according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls, every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now let's just talk about this for a second Verse before we get to verse 7. I see some grammatical problems with the Bible. Shouldn't it say them? I mean, if you just look at it, it says it says all of these folks, a, plur, a, plur, a plurality of people are going to get a bunch of lambs, thousands of them, uh, conservatively 600,000 lambs, half a million lambs are going to be slain. Uh, that's a lot of lambs. And it says it? Why? Because it's focusing on a lamb. A lamb. It doesn't say them. They shall slay them. They shall slay it. They shall slay it because we're focused on one lamb. They're going to kill it, it, in the evening. Because, of course, prophetically, we know someday, thousands of years in the future, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will be slain as a sacrifice for sin, as the Passover. Verse 7, And they shall take of the blood... And strike it on the two side posts and the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So for our notes, the first thing that we need to see very practically is every man needs a lamb. 
Every man needs a lamb. You know, the first mention of the phrase a lamb is found in Genesis 22.8. You might not be surprised about that. That's the passage where, where Abraham, the patriarch, that we just talked about earlier from Genesis 12. He's taking his son Isaac up to an altar to be sacrificed. And the first mention of the phrase a lamb is found in Genesis 22.8. And Abraham said, my son... God will provide himself, himself, a lamb for a burnt offering. So they, so they went both of them together. Father Abraham was believing God for the substitutionary atonement that would allow his boy, Isaac, to go free. He found it with a ram caught in a thicket. You know, beloved, the Bible is, is precise. And that's why around here some, of you, some people give us grief because we hold fast to the to the authorized version. But I got, I got news for you. You find another Bible in English that is as accurate as the, as the King James Bible. That's your assignment. And, and, I, and I think we're going to land on the same one. Uh, even, even those that would have consternation with using the King James would not deny it is the best Bible. And it's the best translation in the English language. And so uh, Father Abraham was believing God for a substitutionary atonement that would allow his boy to go free. But we know what happened in... In God's calendar, his boy didn't go free. He prayed in the garden. He sweat drops of blood. And Jesus said, let this cup pass. And God says, nope. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he went on to the cross and became our lamb. He was a lamb. He was a lamb. Now, the Bible tells us, as we remember uh, the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 8 and verse 32 there was, a, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading the scriptures. He had traveled from Jerusalem, was heading back to, to Ethiopia. And, and God dispatched Philip there in, in Acts chapter 8 to, to come alongside his chariot. And what is he reading? Well, he's reading Isaiah 53, 7. And in that passage, it says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth, and he, brought, or he is brought as a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And, of course, we know uh, that Philip did open his mouth, and he preached to him Jesus. And he taught the Ethiopian eunuch that that lamb was the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every man needs a lamb. You don't need just any old lamb. You need Jesus Christ. That's the lamb that you really need. That's the lamb that I need. Jesus wasn't, uh, wasn't any old lamb. He was the perfect lamb. He was a sacrifice without spot or without blemish. Remember we read in the text, make sure on the first month, uh, on the 10th day, you find a spotless lamb. Jesus is that spotless lamb. He wasn't just any old lamb. He was the spotless lamb. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Isn't it amazing how much weight people put on silver and gold? God says, that's corruptible things. I mean, that's like dirt to me. I, I use it to pave my streets. It's not a big deal. Uh, he's like, we're not redeemed with that from our vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. What's more precious than your bank account? The blood of Christ. What's more precious than anything? The blood of Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ, notice this, as a lamb without blemish and without spot spot you know the lamb that you need is the same lamb that i need it's the it's the spotless lamb it is the sinless lamb it is the lord jesus christ he is without spot and the bible consistently establishes that with a lamb so jesus also is a lamb who stands up and opens the seven seals there needs to be a lamb who is going to open up the seals who can open this book the bible says in revelation chapter 5 and verse 6 this has not yet happened so there's work for this lamb still yet to be done and the bible tells us as john is is uh, transported to the future and he is recording for us what's yet to happen in the revelation of jesus christ the last book of your bible revelation 5 6 he says and behold and lo in the midst of the throne and the four uh, uh, and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Notice the capital L, proper noun. A lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which had the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. You know why it says as it's been slain, because he still bears the holes 
in his hands, in his feet, and in his side, as we saw Thomas in the upper room. He hasn't forgotten the Passover either, that he is the Passover. That's why we remember him. We don't slay a lamb anymore, do we? We, we celebrated a couple of weeks ago uh, the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ because we understand he is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We're, he's, not, he's not in the business of saving us. He has already saved us, and we receive that the day that we trust Christ as Lord and Savior. By the way, that's not what I'm not saying. You're not saved just because he died. You've got to make it yours. And we're, that's what the Passover feast is all about. If you, if, you don't, if you don't line up with this Passover feast, uh, your firstborn's gone, and eventually you're gone, right? And so the reality is you, you've got to come to the lamb. I'll get to that more in just a moment. But I want to give you one more passage about this lamb uh, in Revelation. In Revelation 14.1, the Bible speaks about this lamb. It says, And, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the, mount, on the mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. You know, people get all jacked up about the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast, but they don't realize that God has a mark too. What's the mark of the beast about? Emulating what God's going to do with his 144,000. There's coming a time where God's going to have 144,000 Jewish male virgins. They're not going to be Jehovah Witnesses. And uh, they will be Jehovah's Witnesses, but not like the ones across the highway. Um, but at any rate, and he's going to mark in their forehead. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to stand with them as he reestablishes order and purity in what he's already called out at the Passover. And he's going to establish that nation, and he's going to establish it with these men. But you notice it says, a lamb, a lamb. The 144,000 Jewish male virgins are going to establish the kingdom on earth with a lamb. Sadly, many will be deceived at the rise of the Antichrist because he also, you got to know this, he looks like a lamb, Revelation 13, 11. 13, the number of rebellion, says in verse, uh, in verse 11, and, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This, there's, there's coming a man who looks like a lamb, but his words are coming from Satan, the dragon. And so, and so when it comes to this, this issue of Jesus Christ and this Passover feast, we all need the sacrifice of a lamb. But point B, every individual and every household needs the lamb. We need the lamb, right? As you go down to verse 7 of, of uh, Genesis 22, uh, that passage we were looking, talking about with Isaac, actually we back up a verse. It says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's like, Hey, where, where's the lamb? I know there's a lamb, but where's the lamb? I need to, where is the lamb? Jesus isn't just a lamb. He is the lamb. John the Baptist introduced him as the lamb. He didn't say, behold, a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, as though there's some other option, there's some other way. No, when John the Baptist showed up to introduce the Messiah, he says, behold, the lamb. Just like you see in the book of of Exodus chapter 12. He starts off and he says, everyone needs to take a lamb. And then he says, you need to take the lamb. Again, that's pointing forward to the fact that Jesus Christ is the lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The, ne- the next day, John uh, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then later in that same chapter, he says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb. And by the way, that's the proper noun. I think I, I didn't study that part. I bet that's, I bet someone can study that out. Find the first time the capital L, the proper noun for Lamb is found. I bet it's probably right there. In, uh, in John, but I don't know that. So we'll have to do a little hermeneutic study there, a little Bible study and find that out. But in the revelation of Jesus Christ, I counted 26 mentions of the lamb. There's so many I couldn't even, I couldn't even like talk about it. I'm like, that's a whole study to itself. 26 mentions of the lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God that deserves to be worshiped. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. In Revelation 5, 8, uh, John says, and when he had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, they fell down 
before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. What should we do to the Lamb? Well, we should certainly follow the Lamb as the disciples did, but we should also bow down to the Lamb. We should worship the Lamb. Beloved, there's coming a day when, when you put our story together and we had that date on our calendar. We followed the Lord Jesus Christ and, and we had a lamb. But this life is about us understanding that he is not just a lamb. He is the lamb. And the sooner that we, we continue in this position, bowing down and worshiping him, and the better off we're going to be. Because when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I promise you, you know where we're going to be? We're going to be, we're going to be laying down on our faces before God, casting our crowns. Because understanding, we don't deserve anything. We're lucky. I mean, we don't, lucky isn't the right word. We're not lucky. We're just so full of grace. We're, he is so good to us. I mean, he keeps our heart beating. He keeps our lungs working, our brain functioning. I mean, he's, we wouldn't even be here without him. And yet we live our life like he doesn't exist. I'm talking about Christians. That's what you expect from lost people. But man, Christians, we got a lot to be accountable for. Why? Because he's the lamb. He's not any, he's not any old lamb. He's the lamb. And he deserves to be worshipped. This is a this is enough of Jesus to go around as well. You notice in that text, Jesus is sufficient. There, he's like, hey, you know what? When you slay that lamb, if you have too much, which by the way, you can never get too much of Jesus. He says, just take it to your neighbor. Take it to your neighbor and share the lamb. Oh, isn't that practical? I mean, what did Jesus say? Uh, he sent disciples out. And what's, what are they to share with everybody? All they were to share about is news about the Lamb. We talk about the good news, the gospel, every week. What do you hear me talking about? We're talking about the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's all about the Lamb. That's what we should be taking to our neighbors. Very practical. There's enough of Jesus to go around. But you know what? Today, boy, the devil's doing a trick. Uh, you know, it's like a psyop on everybody. And, and it, people really don't think Jesus is sufficient. Like he's not, oh, he can save my soul. He can launch me out of here. They'll believe what the Bible says about things like that, but then they can't apply it to their everyday life. He's not sufficient to help me with this or that or this or that. No, he is sufficient. What is not sufficient, what is insufficient is our faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is the very thing that's being attacked right now is the word of God. Which, by the way, we'll get to that. But this is the this is the bread. He's also the bread of life. Man, I tell you guys, today, like never before, we need to double down on the Word of God and let this mind be in us, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's how you make what God says in His Word effectual in our everyday life. We got to turn off the noise of all the messages that are coming in our brains and messing us up and making us believe that He is not sufficient. He's not only sufficient for you; He's sufficient for your neighbor. It needs to be sufficient for you because God needs you to take him to the neighbor, to the person that needs some more of the lamb. All right. So so the, the, the little children and the servants who were, were circumcised were included in this, this covering. There's enough of Jesus to go around. Later in Exodus 16, God will establish that anyone who is willing to be circumcised and worship God through the Passover, applying the blood to their lives, will be grafted in. You know, we often look at the nation of Israel and think, oh man, how would you get saved in the Old Testament? You know, God was open. It was open. In the, in the reign of Solomon, there were people coming to Israel. There's like that Ethiopian eunuch, right? He was not a Jew by nature, right? Not physically. But yet when he believed, he believed what the Bible said. And he, of course, he couldn't be circumcised. Things were messed up there. But anyway, uh, circumcised in heart. That's what Jesus said. You know what? The people that were physically circumcised ended up missing the Messiah. And God started in Colossians. We know now he circumcises the heart. He cuts us away from our flesh when we get saved. That's the work of the Spirit of God when we call upon the name of the Lord. And so we need to be intentional about our gospel witness because many of our neighbors need the lamb to escape the pending wrath of God coming upon this world. Very practical application. If those Egyptians who were not willing to submit themselves to the nation of Israel and leave they were facing the wrath that was coming, which we'll get to in the next few weeks. But Jesus, he's, it's not enough that he's just a lamb. He's the lamb. And for some, maybe it's time to make him your lamb. And the third thing that we see is Jesus must be your lamb. We see that as well in the text. right? It goes from a lamb to the lamb 
to your lamb. Very personal there in the, in the text. He needs to be your lamb. The only mention of your lamb in the entire Bible is found right here. There's only one place, and it's right here in Exodus chapter 12. He needs to be your lamb. Your lamb. The only mention of your lamb in the word of God, if, as far as that phrase. If, if you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is the day to call upon his name and the name of the Lord and to be saved. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world will be your lamb. If you call upon his name and worship him, he is the only, uh, he is only a breath away. In Romans, the Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh, it's near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not might, not should. Thou shalt be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so today, if you need a lamb... You know what? You don't need just any old lamb. There's coming a lamb that's going to deceive many. You need the lamb, the lamb of God that took away, has taken away the sin of the world 2,000 years ago on the cross. And you need to take that lamb and you need to make him your lamb. When you do that, man, your whole life is reprioritized and you can write it down on your calendar. Eternity has begun for you. Prepare to launch and learn of him. And there is a lot to learn of him. I don't know if you know this, but your Bible, your Bible is like a picture book. If you're saved and you're just rolling on into this church, you know, one of the things you're going to learn about is the pictures that are in the word of God. You know, when when uh, I, I'm kind of visual like that, I like pictures and images. Most of us guys now that we got technology, what do we do? We need something. We don't read anymore. We dial up YouTube. OK, that's how I fix that. You know, this uh, my, I need to sheetrock something. How do, I, how do I do that? Okay. I mean, I tore out a whole bathroom and redid it just by watching YouTube. I mean, it's, uh, I didn't do a very good job either. But anyway, um, but we just like, we like those visual representations. Well, guess what? That's what the Bible is. It's a, it's a picture book. You've just seen a picture of the lamb in the Passover feast, the way that's laid out. Now, the Jews at that time, they didn't know that. There's some that teach that they knew that this was all about the Messiah. Are you kidding me? They had no idea. They were just doing what God told them to do by faith. They just took God at his word. We could learn from that. We don't have to have everything explained, but Greeks do seek after wisdom. But the reality is this. They just took it, and they believed it, and they did it, and the power of God rested upon them. So we need to be preparing for Passover, not really the Passover, but we need to be preparing for eternity. As they prepared for the Passover, though, the priority of the Passover feast helped them understand uh, what time it was. The priority of the Passover lamb gave them what they needed uh, to be covered from the wrath of God. And the third thing I want to see is the pictures associated with the Passover. In verses 8 through 10, the Bible says, And they shall eat uh, eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Eat not it raw nor sodden, which is boiled at all with water, but roast it with fire. Very specific. His head... Uh, with his legs and the pertinence thereof, do it all, even the even the entrails. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and and that which remaineth of it until the morning, uh, ye shall burn with fire. The whole thing is to be consumed either by eating it or uh, the things that aren't eaten uh, to be uh, consumed in the fire. So the first thing I would want you to note about this, and there's a lot. I don't have time to get into all the things that we could look at. And there's just not enough time. Plus, we're going to cover more of these as the days go on in more specific, uh, more specific terms. But point A, God's timing. You know, in Exodus 12:3, he says, Speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, The tenth day of this month shall you take it. And, and so he, he mentions you've got to go get this lamb on the tenth day. And then in verse 6, he says, On the fourteenth day of the month, uh, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And I've already alluded to the reality of how that pictures the, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was looking at this timing, it's amazing because on the macro view this, of this passage, it was actually four millennial days from the time of the blood sacrifice instituted in Genesis 3.21 until the Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. I actually hadn't thought of that or seen that until I was studying this. I was like, wow, four days had gone by as far as, 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 far as millennial days from uh, Genesis 
uh, where that sacrifice was offered and covered the sin of Abraham, or I mean the sin of Adam, until uh, the Lamb of God comes and cleanses us from our sin through the perfect sacrifice. It's amazing. But also, uh, this time played out very clearly uh, according to the Passover feast. As Jesus Christ was coming into Jerusalem at his triumphal entry, it was four days uh, before the crucifixion. And I believe that they received him that day, didn't they? They had the palms, and they're like, oh, Hosanna, Hosanna. They took their lamb, and then you know what they did four days later? They crucified it. They crucified him. Fulfilled exactly. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Passover. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, referencing the unleavened bread. For even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. The tenth day of the month was Palm Sunday. In Zechariah 9, 9, that prophecy was fulfilled as he rode in on the on the uh, full of an ass, and he come in triumphant, just like the Bible teaches. And then just like Daniel said, he was cut off. He was cut off. He became that sacrificial lamb. The 14th day of the same month, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-two says, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? What should I do with your Messiah? Daniel chapter 9. They say, well, cut him off. They didn't say that, but in essence, they say, kill him. They all say unto him, let him be crucified. They killed him. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather the tumult, the tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Oh, what a statement. His blood be upon us. Whose blood? As John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God. But not in the sense of covering their sin. They murdered the Lamb. Of course, we did too because he died for our sin. But uh, they didn't know it. What do you think in the millennial reign of Christ when God has reinstituted the... the oh, he had never really stops it. As the, as the feast cycle continues for the nation of Israel and people are making their journeys back and forth to Jerusalem and, and uh, Jesus Christ is literally reigning on this earth and they're going through this cycle of feast. What do you think they're going to be thinking about? They're going to be thinking about things like this. They're going to be thinking about how Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And now... He's our lamb. But it's going to take them going through great tribulation before they get a hold of that. You know, there's people probably even listening to this message, maybe even sitting in this room today, that despite all the preaching and all the nudging and all the conviction of the Holy Ghost, you won't receive Jesus Christ as your lamb. Oh, yeah, you know there's a lamb, and you know that Jesus, you might even know that Jesus is the lamb. But you've got to go through great tribulation before you'll actually receive him. I would caution you not to do that. Because there's no guarantee. Don't play with God's grace. The goodness of God, man, it needs to be responded to. When you comprehend who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. This age of grace, man, is very clear in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. You know the people that go in the tribulation period? You know partially why they go into the tribulation period? Not partially. As a whole, why they go in. Especially those who received not the love of the truth. People like Pharaoh, people like the Egyptians who understood that there's something special going on with this lamb business. There's something going on with these shepherd people. There's a protection there. There's a goodness there. Maybe there's some that were wise and said, maybe we should get what they're getting. And they were grafted in. There's a mixed multitude that left and become part of servants of the children of Israel. They humbled themselves and they left their worldly possessions and they said, you know what? I'm joining up with those peculiar people. Beloved, today the church is, is more and more peculiar as the days go on. I think the church in some respects is waking up a little bit and saying, you know what? We need to quit trying to be like the world and be more like Jesus. And, and you know what? And the more we're like Jesus, the more peculiar we'll become. But you know what? There'll be people, there'll be your neighbors that need a lamb. And when you take the lamb to them, 
They'll receive the lamb and they'll say, you know what? I'm going to forsake all this. This has not been working for me. It's got me broke. It's got me beaten. It's got me beaten up. And plague after plague after plague has come upon my life. I need something else. You need the lamb. And you need that lamb to be your lamb. Make him your lamb. Oh, beloved, we can't go to sleep on this. Jesus, he's the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, everyone's going to worship. It's just a matter of when. Today is the day. Another thing that we see a picture of is the Lord's Supper very clearly, and I'm not going to take a lot of time on this. You can see it in the text, but in verse 10 in particular, he says, And they shall eat of the, the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. You know, Jesus literally taught his disciples that he was the Passover as they celebrated the Passover meal in the upper room, fulfilling exactly uh, what the Word of God is talking about in Exodus. And, of course, he is the bread of life. I mentioned that earlier. The blood <clears throat> is poured out. The blood of God cleanses us from our sins. And uh, in John chapter 19, uh, John records that. So we can see this clearly in retrospect that the time the disciples, they didn't grasp all that Jesus was doing and even what he was saying. Like us, it takes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and direct revelation from God's Word for our eyes of understanding to be enlightened. And when he commands us to eat, right, he says eat. That was, that was all picturing what we still do today. Eat, what, take, partake of the lamb. That's exactly what we did a few weeks ago during the Lord's Supper. We say take, eat, because we recognize that Jesus was our Passover. In Exodus 12, 8, we see the, the, the unleavened bread, right? The, the, that's a picture, of course, of that. As I ever do the Lord's Supper, I often point out that, that that bread pictures the sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the bitter herbs of the Passover. We're reminded that Jesus prayed in the garden, sweating drops of blood, saying, If there is any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he endured the cross and despised the shame and rose victoriously over the grave. And we can't miss the cross of Jesus Christ either. The text is very clear that the sacrifice was to be roasted in fire. Not boiled, right? Not sodden or eaten raw. It was to be cooked because, well, because hell was brought to Christ on the cross for three hours. That sacrifice for sin endured all the sin for all of humanity. In Exodus twelve seven, it talks about the blood that must be taken and struck on the doorposts. And boy, I'm not, I'm flying through all this. There's really not enough time. I could go on and on. But they took that blood and they put it on the doorposts. And, of course, we'll see later in the text that death angel passed over them. And there's not a, many among us that don't know John 14:6, But, you know, we don't really think about it. Why is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life? Because he's the Lamb of God, and the blood of Jesus Christ has made a way. And it's just like that doorpost. That blood was covered over the door, and that house was saved as the death angel passed over. If we want to be saved, we've got to have the blood of Christ applied to our life. The Old Testament high priest would go in once a year and atone for the sins of, of Israel in Exodus 29, 20. And that high priest, before he went in there, they slew a lamb. And, and he was atoning for the house of Israel. And he took that blood and he, he put it on his ear and then he put it on his toe and he went into there. And what did that represent? Well, he's covered head to toe in the blood of a lamb. Beloved, we got to be covered by the blood, Jesus Christ, by the way, was bloody from a crown of thorns to his feet as he gave everything for our sin. It's, he is the way. He's the truth and he is the life. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And, the, and God died for us on the cross and shed his blood, making a way for us to escape his just wrath. And as Ron pointed out very accurately when he was singing earlier, Jesus Christ died once. For sin, There's some churches that teach that Jesus is, is suffering in perpetuity and he's just constantly suffering for eternity for our sins in some kind of hell state. That's not accurate at all. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time 
without sin unto salvation. You see, Jesus Christ in that time, before morning came, the sacrifice was done. When he said, it is finished, it is finished. And he was a complete sacrifice. The command at the Passover feast was don't let anything linger. Burn it all. Consume it all in the fire. Make it a comprehensive sacrifice. There's nothing left. Why? Because as we like to say, we trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. His work is finished. He took care of it on the cross for three hours. The blood in Exodus twelve seven reminds us that John witnessed the blood and the water come out in John nineteen thirty six. This was the precious blood of the land that makes us whiter than snow. So Jesus' sacrifice was complete, and he said in John nineteen thirty, "It is finished. It's finished. The work, the sacrifice for our sin, our lamb, your lamb, died on the cross, and that work was finished." 2,000 years ago. So the work of atoning for sin in time is already complete. So it's not about that anymore. You know, some people are on a treadmill trying to earn their way to God. And the first thing you've got to really learn is, you know what? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Man, I'm glad you want to be better, but at the end of the day, the most frustrating thing is trying to be perfect. You ain't going to get there. You've got to quit trying. And just die. You got to die to your ways and your will, and you got to trust Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. He died on the cross for you. And you know what? When death comes, that death angel's passing over you because he is your Lord and he is your Savior. You know, the work of atoning for sin is complete, it's finished. But my question for you this morning is will you be left in Egypt? If the Lord was going to launch us out of here today, you know, Egypt's a type of the world, and the Bible's promising the church is going to be raptured out. We're going to be caught up in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and they that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And forever, we're going to be with them. And we commence on into the business at hand at the judgment seat of Christ, and then the second coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb, all those things that are listed for us. As this world goes into tribulation, Beloved, man, I don't want to see anybody left behind. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you think, well, i got a neighbor, and I would lay odds right now. If we got caught up, he'd be left behind. She'd be left behind. i got a relative that would be left behind. i got a spouse be left behind. Well, what do we need to do? We need to take the lamb to him. And we need to let him know there's a lamb There is a lamb, and and, and that lamb is the lamb. And that lamb that is the lamb needs to be your lamb. And we need to give them the gospel. Maybe this morning you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Has there been a time in your life where you've called upon the name of the Lord and appropriated Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as your lamb? Have you called upon him to be saved? He's only a breath away. Only a breath away. Now, how about us, Christians? Have you shared the lamb with your neighbor? Have I shared the lamb with my neighbor? Have you applied, have I applied the blood to the door? You know, the Bible convicts me too, beloved. <laughs> so, so have we applied the blood to the door? How's our house? Is your house covered? What do you mean, Brian? Well, let me put it this way. Are you doing the priestly work for your family? That, that man of the house, he had to go get a lamb. He had to prepare the lamb. He had to sacrifice the lamb. He had to share the lamb. He had to take that lamb and put that blood over the doorpost. What was at stake? His house. Men, this is a time where men need to be men. Excuse me, ladies. But men, come on. Can we have a church of men that lead their families and, and put the lamb first? I mean, that's what, this is, that's, what, that's what the church needs. It's what the world needs. what society needs is men to take control of the feast cycle, to meet, lead their house in the way it should go. It's not enough for the kids to see Moses and Aaron following God. The way God designed this thing is, they, is, is, they, is, he, is, is God designed it to see Daddy. Why did the death angel not hit our house, Daddy? Because daddy put some blood on the door. Mama didn't do it. Daddy did it. Daddy took leadership in in, in making sure the blood was applied to save his house.
I'm just telling you, Daddy, this ain't Mama's religion. This is yours. And if it's not yours, it will affect your house. I'm not, not taking anything away from Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mom and grandma. We need as many of them women as possible. God bless them. I mean, there are so many women that are better than men, it's not even funny. All the way through the Bible. Okay, so I'm not, this isn't a misogynist statement. This is a call for men to fill their rightful place in the redemption story. Because if we don't, it will affect our house. It will affect the church house. It will affect our individual homes. And, of course, it affects society. That goes without saying. But I'm not here to save society. I'm here to make sure you're saved, that you have a lamb, and your house is covered, and this house is ready to launch. You ready to launch? I hope so. Let's start, let's start early by standing up. Let's stand up where we are. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to launch, Lord, we're, our life is about getting ready for what's yet to come in eternity. You have